if you tell a story oft enough so it become true. Words, like the twisting grain of wood or the course of a slow-running river have ways they must ever go. Who might I be to wield the axe cross the grain or try to untwist the flow of water? Yet, I take up this my pen to set down here my story. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long, long ago. A reading life, a writing life. With writer and teacher Sally Bailey. Produced by Andrew Smith. It's a very, very frosty morning. It was very, very cold last night, and I have noticed, unfortunately, that my window nearest to my bed is a little unhinged. It's flapping slightly. I might need to do something about that. That might be why my nose got cold, tiddly-pom. So at the moment, I can see my breath in here. I'm at the back of the boat, on my bed, and I'm puffing white smoke and it's the smoke of my own breath <sighs> I'm thinking of Puddle Glum from the Narnia series <sighs> Puddle Glum and his round coils of smoke drifting down to the floor from his pipe I'm imagining myself as Puddle Glum with his long bendy sinewy knobby knees and slender legs the marsh wiggle who lived outside in a tent and no doubt fared very well in the winter. Probably suited his natural melancholy and gloom. <sighs> Puddle glum. Two logs on the fire, one starter log and one large piece of wood that's been reclaimed from somewhere. I don't remember where exactly. The sound of fire, the most primitive sound we have, surely. Let me give it a poke. The rippling effect of flames in my wood burner, pleasing sound. So I'm getting ready to go to discuss or chat with my writing friend, Alice Jolly, who's a brilliantly original writer. And we're going to be asking her questions about her reading life and her writing life. So I'm going to hasten on. Just come up from Stroud train station. 
to the house of my friend Alice Jolly, my writer friend. She lives in a house called Mount Vernon, which overlooks the Stroud Valley. Alice's houses dates from 1815. Stone house and this beautiful sweep of yellow light hitting the valley. This is a fine, noble house. Solid in the hill. Fluttering also. Light as a child's toy. So many windows, the light glance. A gothic-looking house with a turret on top. A tower, in fact. The house of fairy tales and legends and lore. Turret. Tower, battlements, shutters, water tank gathering from the many roofs. A delicate house. Mount Vernon, that's where we are. They call it Mount Vernon. So I'm about to talk to writer Alice Jolly, my friend, about her magnificent balladic verse novel called Mary Ann Sate, Imbecile, which was published in June 2018, exactly the same month as my book, Girl with Dove, was published, and I feel a real kinship with Alice's work. It's historic fiction, but it's written in verse form, and it reminds me very strongly of the tradition of ballad storytelling, particularly the rhyme of the ancient mariner but she has her own unique idioms which come from this part of the world from Gloucestershire and Worcestershire and the Stroud Valley and her character Mary Ann Sate speaks in the dialect of this place. Walk out into the embrace of the garden, stand against the white railing, see the dawn grey-pink come up drawn like a veil off the town. These the most sacred hours, for once there is settling quiet, a drop down into deep stillness. The words will not wait. Yea, these valleys were my beginning. You are writing really a local story, aren't you, Alice? You live in Stroud, you live at the top of the hill in Stroud, and you're speaking out the history and you're recreating and remaking the voice of lost Stroud inhabitants from the 18th, 19th centuries. Yes, um, I think, obviously, you know, I was growing up in the 1960s in Gloucestershire and Mary Ann is in the 1880s. When you look around the Stroud Valleys, what you see is gorgeous honey-coloured stone cottages and mills and churches and all sorts of beautiful buildings and the canal of course and all of this was built by somebody um, and yet those people have gone and so the whole yes we've only got a fraction of the history of these valleys which is the history of the more wealthy people and the rest of it we we don't really know about and also this area was one of the first areas where there was trade union type unrest 
Um, and so those early people who first really started asking questions about low wages and asking questions about why they had to move out of their cottages where they had traditionally done all their weaving and spinning and, and go and work in mills. Yes, the history of those people is obscured and yet in the history of protest in England, they are enormously important. So Alice, there's this extraordinary uh, recorded performance of Marianne Saint in Basile, which was performed by local actors. Yes, what they've produced is not a radio play, but it's a little bit more than an audio book. It's got lovely music and sound, and it really gives atmosphere to the book. And it was produced by Red Dog Theatre Company, um, Kate Abrahams, Jude Emmett and Simon Turner. And I think they did it in a very clever and very beautiful way because there's two different voices, which is an old Marianne Sate and a much younger Marianne Sate. Mary Ann Sate, Imbecile, by Alice Jolly, featuring Kate Abraham and Jude Emmett. Music and sound production by Simon Turner. Bone. Blood. Brain. What does a soul look like if you write him on paper? The book was always written in a way to be read. I mean, Marianne herself is an oral storyteller. She loves telling stories. And so in the beautiful readings by Red Dog Theatre, what they get is the vulnerability and the sort of hesitation of the voice, but also at another level, something really strong, something sort of iron-like and incredibly certain that is there, that is her soul speaking, definitely. So Marianne is writing in the 1880s and she's very old at that time. There's two households. There's the household she's in as an old woman and then the household she's in as a young woman. And unfortunately, she's the kind of person that whatever household she's in, she's going to be cleaning the floors. And I mean, she's not even going to be doing anything as grand as cooking. She's going to be just polishing things and clearing things up and doing, you know, emptying slot buckets and whatever the really kind of awful work is. That's her story. And it's, it's, it's a sad story in a way because her life sort of almost ends very young. This huge sort of trauma happens to her and she has to leave. And then it's a long time before she can sort of begin her life again. And she, she never really does begin it again. But right at the end of her life, she wants to confront these problems of the past and the lies that were told. And part of the reason why she's writing the book is because as an old woman, she needs to say, this is really what happened here. I write this down for my master, tell me I must. His name is Mr Blythe Cartrell. Mark well my words. I cannot deny him or argue, make any answer. My master is not a man whose will is ever moved. I say this assuredly, having knowed him many a distant year, even since we were both green and but half-growed. These few short weeks since I bring my creaking body back to these valleys of Stroud water, return to work for my master here, and the grace of God I come back to my beginnings. Yet my soul is tossed and troubled sore. 
I did so want these valleys again. Longed for them as dry earth yearns water. Yet I did not want to see my master again. Yet so in God's judgment it has fall out. Only do I find my peace when I wake early, the day yet thin, in the small tower room I take for mine. Now, I know that some people just found the book strange and off-putting and at the beginning of it they kind of felt like I don't know where I am and I, I don't know what I'm reading and in a sense they had a sort of conflict to get into it almost but I kind of wanted that um I don't always believe that you should just be able to walk through the front door of a book and see everything that it's offering immediately I think it's part of the reading process sometimes to feel yourself at sea, to not know where the book's going, to not know what kind of book it is. I liken it to being a foreigner in a in a country that you really don't understand and you can't speak the language properly. For a while, you're kind of at sea. And I think it can be important for a book to do that to us, to, to unsettle us, to make us feel uncertain and this is a strange and alienating world. I absolutely agree with you, that idea of being ambushed or hijacked or seized or stolen away by a voice and the voice takes us into a place or a country which is unknown to us. I love that vertiginous sense when there's a very strong voice taking over my imagination at the beginning of um, a great work of art. That sense of not knowing the coordinates of the place and or the character whose life you're suddenly thrown into and, and among. What does a soul look like if you write him on paper? Yes, soil also, how may he be held within this fragile mesh of words? Yet so tis certain, soil himself must find his tongue, my story being but one speck of grit in the swell and ballad of these valleys. Oh, how I do love to see them once again. The light brush across their emerald edges as the sun bloom and wither day on day. Soil, soul and sin too, soon all one. Paradoxically, some people who have really had nothing in life and have had no proper support or whatever do finish up with an incredibly strong sense of self and they have some sort of deep certainty and it's because they've had to build all of that from within. She becomes more and more confident. She begins thinking that she's actually writing the story of her master because she can't think of writing her own story because she doesn't really feel she exists as an individual and a person like her wouldn't really have felt that at all. The idea of writing your own story would have seemed ridiculous at that time if you were very poor. Um, but she just gradually gains confidence and right at the end of the book she said that she has written her name on the book and that this is her story Mary Ann Sate and her writing of her name is hugely important it's like laying claim to her right to, to say what she wants to say. It reminds me now you're speaking again Alice of spiritual revelation and truth of Christina Rossetti's poetry and also her work with John Keeble, 
um, their relationship to spiritual revelation and her spiritual memoir as well. But I, when I first read Christina Rossetti, I, when I was much, much younger, um, I was confounded by the simplicity of her language and, you know, the hymn that we, the, the carol that we sing in church at Christmas time in the bleak midwinter, which I think is my favourite carol, and that's Rossetti's words. There's something of that sort of, use the word iron, um, and Rossetti uses that word as well, in the bleak midwinter, cold, she speaks about water or snow, cold as iron, doesn't she? There's there's something about that image of stone and iron, those, those raw resources, those raw, hard materials that the primal relationship to materials and words, um, which takes me all the way back to thinking about how people first made fire and got themselves warm there's something very very primitive about her energy and her source of energy which I relate to a kind of I don't know a sort of spiritual warmth as well which which gives me hope but also courage you know this is also a story of spiritual courage too yeah I think that's right I think the nature of her work she's battling with the elements the whole time you know as a very young child, she's having to sort of dig up these kind of potatoes and things in a field. And, um, you know, she's there in the sort of mud and the frost and the water and the cold. And as you say, the physical things of her life are sort of inescapable. In the modern world, we live very sort of anaesthetised and very protected. Um, and and also there's something as well about childhood that we we remember those elemental things from our childhood when, again, we're very sort of connected to that. We we lose that usually as we get older. And so, yes, in her telling of her story, it's a very material, visceral, physical life that she's describing where she's really touching and holding and scrubbing and, you know, she's right up against the elements in some ways. And one of the few consolations she has in her very harsh life is that she's living in a very beautiful place and she knows it. And and she also feels the presence of God in the landscape. I mean, the God and the landscape are not really divided from Marianne. And so, yes, Marianne does actually see God and see these various visions and it, it never occurs to her that these are some in some sense magical or anything they, they're just simply there because the spiritual world is there for her in all of the landscape around her and it's also how she gives some breadth and some grandeur to a life which is actually pathetically small you know she's doing the same really dreary jobs again and again but she gets away from that um, by tapping into this kind of spiritual world. But as you're speaking, Alice, I'm thinking of the Psalms as well, because, of course, in the King James Bible, the, the Psalms speak through God's creation. So there's a sense in which the brooks and the streams and the fields and the meadows and the pastures and the trees, the river and the sea, they all speak his word. They all speak of his um, divine authority. And... I really felt as though you'd captured a sense of the the sacred in the natural landscape. So when I heard Mary Ann Sate speaking, I also naturally assumed it was the voice of nature and behind the voice of nature, it was God speaking out of the storm as he does in the Old Testament. 
The Methodist chapel at Acre Hedge in Stroud visited many a time Mr John Wesley himself, two mile along the valley side. Tis glorious to walk that way, over the stream at the Coombs, down Dry Hill, past Wayhouse Farm and then over Lime Stream, where the broke-down mill is. Many a field you see from here is spread with scarlet cloth drying out in the air, does come from the mills and dye houses below. The fall of the fulling stock sound always. The heartbeat that does keep the life to flow through all these valleys. Then through Crease Gate, till you come to the hem of Stroud, where are many gabled houses. There have been a lot of very enthusiastic readers of the book in the Stroud Valleys. Um, it's certainly not, not a crowd-pleasing book, but certainly a Stroud-pleasing book, we can say that. And um, and again, I think it's because people share with her um, that sense of love for this place and how beautiful it is and how sustaining it can sometimes be. And also so many of the places from the book, people have walked or they, they know um, exactly where these places are we're all connected with people from the past you know the ghosts are very much walking all the time we're surrounded by this past history there's something special about doing that there's something special about making that connection with your home and the place where you're from and there's something very stabilizing and rooting in those connections i think when i speak these words i never had such a feeling of for I do not think most people are like this, Ambrose say. Most people like the spring, the summer, the good days. I wish then I had words such as he to say the things I felt. Then I shiver through every bone, a happy shiver. But he see it and say, you must not sit still, twill not answer. See, see, you must stamp your feet a bit, swing your arms. I do not want to do that. My face burn, hide my eyes. Look, look, he say. He catches hold of my arms, swings them around, stamps his feet to show. Come, come, here, like this, stamp, stamp. Slap his thighs, raise the toes of boots. The music sudden quicken through him, like this and this. He makes me stand beside he. First my feet bang only heavy up and down. Here, here, he say, like this, like this. And slowly it starts. No, no, here, like this. My feet go heel and toe, heel and toe. Turn, turn and turn again. Then, no, listen, clap, clap, clap. The rain in wood rattle our twisting, turning, our rising laughter. Clap, clap, heel toe turn. The blood floods warm through our hearts. Hardly notice the swelling dark till Ambrose says, Come, look, tis clearing now. I hope you get the sheep in. No, no, I say, there is no need. Yes, he say, no need, but I shall do it anyway, since we are family now, Mary Ann said.
In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long, long ago. Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, give us a review, or mention us to friends or on social media. Thank you.